0: At Stillwater Bible, we have a, a purpose. It's the same purpose as that you have as an individual believer. So it all goes together, and that is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth, go you therefore. And what? Make disciples. That's the plan. And what we're supposed to do in making disciples, discipleship is evangelism and training. What we're really supposed to do is share our faith, lead people to Christ, and then those that we lead to Christ or those that we know, we help disciple them. We help them grow. We help them get to a point where we can do the same thing. Now, to be honest with you, the reason the church is most growth in almost all churches is people switching from one church to another. That's what growth is. Somebody will come in the door, and they'll say, well, we used to go to another church, but we didn't like it, so we we're trying this one. And that's what happens Most growth in churches is that people are coming, and in today's culture, you you just got to go ahead and have something to attract people, whether it's the music, whether it's the lights, whether it's the smoke, whether it's whatever it is, and you want to get people to come because, see, that's the plan, and so they'll leave other places and come to the one that offers the most stuff. This is what's happened to the church in the 21st century and the 20th century. And so what we have is a body of believers out there who just say, my job is to go sometimes. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. And we said that it used to be the faithful believers. I'm talking about the ones that support the church and are there, it used to come eight out of every 10 times. Now they come six out of every 10 times. And, st- and the average believer doesn't come but once about every six weeks. And so now what's happened? Because people say, my job is to go to church. And their job may be to in the nursery when they come to church, or they may be doing something else. But if you said to them, is your job leading people to Christ and training them, most people say, that's pastor's job. It's our job. It's all of our jobs. In fact, when you look at Ephesians, Ephesians 4, it says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers to do what? Equip the saints to do the ministry, to build up the body. Who's supposed to equip the believers? Oh, I am, but I started, and then we do the rest, right? We do the rest. So I equip saints. Saints equip. It's the same as Paul to Timothy and Timothy to somebody else and somebody else to somebody else. So this is the key. Having a Timothy is the key to making disciples. Every one of us in the room need to have people that we're taking what we know, <clears throat> and most of us in this room know a lot. You know a lot. You've been here five and a half. Five and a half years, you know some things. You know you know the Bible, you know the gospel, you know how things fit together, you've heard all kind of different studies, you've written a lot of notes down. You're you are ready. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I'm not ready yet. Well, the truth is most of us never are ready. We don't think we're ready. But this group of believers in this room, you are ready. Every one of you in this room can make disciples. Every one of you in this room can lead people to Christ and disciple them and meet with them and teach them truths and answer their questions. The ministry of discipleship is the key to the growth and success of the local body. This is the key to the growth and success. If we're going to grow, and I don't mean grow because somebody left another church to come here. And sometimes it's okay to leave another church. If the Bible's not being taught, if the message is not sound, if it's not a grace message of salvation, they shouldn't even go into that church. They should find a church where the Bible is taught and the message of salvation is clear. And we do that. And so we want people to come here. But the ideal way that we grow numerically is because we lead people to Christ. And bring them in and train them and equip them. So we've been seeing this whole thing. And we we saw about a Paul and a Barnabas and now a Timothy. And we raised these four questions. Why have a Timothy? What do we look for in a Timothy? Uh, And we saw those first two. I'm just going to touch on them real quickly. And then the plan. What are we to do? And then the charge. What do we want them to do? And we're going to see how this fits. And uh, the plan is not to get all the way through it this morning. And finish it up next week with, with some other little challenges as we put the whole thing together. Why do we have a Timothy? Why? Because it's commanded. If, if you, I'm gonna, this is going to say really hard, but if you are not helping somebody else grow, if you're not making disciples, which is evangelism and training, then we're disobedient. If we're not doing it. If we're not doing it. If you say, well, I never have done that. Well, then you've never fulfilled or followed the great commission, which he said, oh, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, where they're going, lead them to Christ, baptize them, identify them with Christ, and then teach them to observe all which I've commanded you. So we're supposed to be doing that. So it is, it's, it's commanded. And if we're obedient, we'll fulfill the great commission to make disciples. It's, it's, there's, it's really hard because this is what we're... What if every one of us in this room... In this, just in the next year, let's don't put any pressure on it. Let's just say this time next year, every one of us in this room led somebody to Christ and brought them in here. What would this room look like right now? It'd be twice as big. We're talking about you in a year time period, leading someone to Christ, bringing them into the body, and training them and equipping them. See? So... It's commanded, if we're obedient to fulfill the Great Commission, we're to make disciples. And the second reason that we're to have a Timothy is to continue the message of ministry. Because if we don't, we talked about it for the last two weeks, and the statistics are so depressing. I hate to even talk about them. But the, the up-and-coming next two generations, what they call the nuns, meaning they have nothing they believe, they don't believe, and they're not they're not Christian, so to speak. They're not They're nothing. It's 25 to 26% of the coming up generation. That's one in four who people who say, oh, I don't believe any of this. I don't go to church. I don't believe any of this. I'm not Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or anything. I'm nothing. And I'm not going to be anything. And that's what they think. So, bottom line, that's, that's, we got to do this. We've got to reach people. And so it's commanded and, and, and to continue the message. That's the bottom line. Second, what do we look for in the Timothy? We talked about this last time as well. Find somebody that matches you. It's something that's not appointed but discovered. You can't come to me and say, JB, find me somebody in the body that I can disciple. I would say to you is you find somebody in the body because I can't pick somebody out for you. I might could say, well, this person's on fire and you're on fire. Maybe y'all could get together, but that doesn't mean it'll work. you got to relate to people in the body and you got to say to people that you're friends with, close to, they may not be growing. Or they may, and you may say, hey, would you like to start meeting together? We could start meeting together. I could take you to the 412 or I could take you to the 2-2. I could take you to the Discipline for Godliness. I could take you to the 412 Christian Life. I could t- I could take you through all these. we got all kinds of studies that you could help people with. That's so all we want to do that. Look for somebody that matches you second. we look for the fat people, which is the faithful, available and teachable. And this is this room, by the way, this room, you're the fat people, right? Are you available? Did you come? Are you faithful? Yes. Are you teachable? Yes. This is the group. I mean, there's others, there's people on Wednesday nights, and there's people but. As a whole, where where are the people coming and saying, I want to connect, I want to know, I want to grow, I want to make a difference. This is the faithful people, the available people, and the teachable people. And I said, if you're not faithful, it won't ever work. Because when Paul says to Timothy, teach those people, he says, Timothy, teach who? Faithful people. You can't teach people who aren't there. You can't teach people who aren't faithful if they're not available and if they're not teachable. One of the things we should never do, and it doesn't matter how old you are or how much you know, never, never get unteachable. Never think you've arrived. Never think you know it. I'm telling you this, and I, I know a lot of the Bible. I mean, I've studied it for a long time, but let me tell you how I feel. What I feel like is the Bible is a mountain, and I'm on the top of it, and I got a spoonful of the dirt off the top of the mountain, and I say, this is about what I really know as compared to the Bible. That's how I feel, because there's just so much here. I mean, I have Bible reading that I read every day. I mean, today, I mean, I'm reading about Joseph again and, and his brothers, and, and he's, you know, he, he brought him in, and uh, he's in Egypt, and they sold him into slavery. That's what I'm reading in my, my, just my reading, and just even Joseph, what he did and how he did it. And sometimes I'll read something and I go, oh, I never, I never thought, I, I never really thought about it exactly that way. I never thought about it. And I, I'd forgotten that Reuben, Reuben is the older one, that when they, when they were going to kill Joseph, and he said, no, 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 just throw him in a hole. And his plan was, when everybody's forgotten about it, I'll come back and get him out of the hole. And so he left. And when he comes back, he's not in the hole because they sold him into slavery. And Reuben went, oh, no. What am I going to do? See, the, you see these lives. It's just, so there's always more to know and to apply. And so that's the bottom line, faithful, available, and teachable. Now, that takes us to the third part. This is where we are now, and that is the plan. What are we to do? You're in Ezra, Ezra chapter 7. He is the role model. We want to study the Bible. We want to apply the Bible. We want to teach the Bible. I want you to look at Ezra chapter 7. Look at uh, basically 8, 9, and 10. 10 is the verse we want to look at, but Ezra was a scribe. Anybody know what a scribe is? What did they do? What did a scribe do? They wrote down the script they they copied the scripture and they copied it and they had these big sheets of it. They, listen, it wasn't a book like this. It was long rolls. I mean, some of them 27 feet long, these rolls, and they would they would start writing, and they would write all of course they wrote this way, because Hebrew goes this way, and they were writing this way and writing this way, and they put it in and they were copying it, and that's what scribes did, and they kept them on rolls. And in fact, when you have uh, the, uh esther there are five there are five roles that go together that one of them has the reading at esther that so they have to unroll that i mean this is this is how they did it and so this guy was a scribe, and he decided to go back to Jerusalem. and so in verse eight it says because he had been in captivity he had been with uh with artaxerxes he'd been in Persia the medio persian empire, the empire that came after daniel died daniel you know Daniel was in the the, uh, he was in part of the Medo Persian Empire, but then after he died, here comes this guy named Ezra, and it says he came to, verse 8, he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is the seventh month of the king. So he left, and he came in the fifth month. On the first day of the month, he went up from Babylon. Now they call it Babylon because the whole part of the world was called Babylon, even though it's the Medo Persian Empire. And on the first of the month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of God was upon him. Now watch his plan. For Ezra had set his heart. Now I want to stop there before we see what he, to set your heart means to purpose. You know I read all kind of books on leadership and things. and They're always talking about you got to have it, make a decision. You got to plan something beforehand. You got to decide you're going to do something. The old saying is if you don't, uh, uh, if you fail to plan, you'll plan to fail, and all those kind of things. You got to plan. You got to decide what you're going to do. Ezra decided what he was going to do. Look what it says. For Ezra had set his heart. This word means to purpose. It means to decide. He had decided that he would study the law of the Lord, which means study the Bible, and to practice it, which means to apply it, and then to teach His statutes and ordinances in Israel. So he decided he would study the Bible, he would apply the Bible, and he would teach the Bible. Now, every one of us in this room, we should do exactly the same thing. We should make a decision. You should purpose in your heart that you're going to decide that you're going to begin a systematic study of the Bible. You're going to put this thing together. And if you say to myself, how do we do that? Well, first of all, you keep coming on Sunday mornings where you get in the book of Daniel. You get involved on a Wednesday night where you can take the classes. My, My tutu class, puts together the whole theology of the Bible over a course of a year. It's 28 Lessons. You can jump into there right now. We just finished lesson 15. It doesn't matter. They they all come together, and you could take that. You could go to Brian's class and take uh, the, the the two two uh, the four twelve. You could go to Garrett's class and take the Old Testament survey if you want to be able to put that together. You could do these things because you got to study it. You got to systematically. You got to read it. You got to put it together. You got to know observation, interpretation, application. You got to know how to put the Bible together. We have those in classes. I would meet with. any of you in this room, individually, if you came to me and said, uh, right now, I don't want to be in a class, but would you teach me how to study the Bible? I will get time and teach you how to study the Bible. this is what we have to do. We have to put it in our brains. We have to know it. Then we have to apply it. You cannot just study it and then do something else with it. The Bible talks about don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. The Bible talks about that. Take what you've been taught and live it out. Apply it in your life. And so he said, I'm going to study it. Then I'm going to apply it. And then what am I going to do with it? I'm going to teach other people. It's the, it's, I'm going to say it this way. It's the funnest thing you can do. The funnest thing you can do is take something you know from the Bible that is so good and share it with somebody else. Think about what if there's someone that you were talking with and they said, well, I, I think if you're going to go to heaven, you, you, better, you better live a good life. And you could look at them and say, I have got some really good news for you. Wouldn't that be fun to tell them that is not their works? Because their works, their works can never measure up. And even if it was works, how I many works and for how long? You get to tell them, listen, it's not you trying to get to heaven. It's what Jesus Christ has already done and faith in him. So you get to do it. So study the Bible, apply the Bible, and then teach the Bible. I want you to look. Turn over to Second Timothy. Just flip over there, okay? All the way over to Second Timothy. It's new testament of course first first timothy and second timothy second timothy chapter 2 this is where we see uh, this key aspect of making disciples and everybody turn there Uh, You know, we're Old Testament now. We're flipping over to the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. I want to talk about grace for a second. Time is almost up, but I've got some great things. We got to see this this morning. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You therefore, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, you therefore, my son, my son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the thing which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. You entrust this to what? Faithful people. Take what I've taught you. You teach faithful people who are able to teach others as well. The thing I want you to know Notice to begin with is look what he says. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So many people in our culture, so many people in this town, so many people who go to different churches do not understand grace. They've heard of grace, they talk about grace, they say grace, but when it comes right down to it, it's works. In my class the other night, two two, right at the very end, I read something uh, from an article. And a guy said, and the first, here's the page, it's two it's pages right there. And he starts off by saying, isn't it amazing that God saves us by grace, that God saves us through a free gift. And I read this to the people, they all like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Let's read really what he says. So here's what you must do. You must turn away from your sins. You must recognize the Lordship of Christ. You must agree to serve him and then call unto him and you could be saved. Now, that's not Grace. And so here's a guy saying, I know what grace is, but when it comes down to it, it's not grace. And there are people in this community that tell you they believe in the grace of God and salvation and everything, and when you get down and talk to them, they add works to it. We have to stand for the grace. Look what he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so this message of salvation, which is by grace through faith plus nothing, it's that simple. We're saved by grace through faith. Romans eleven six 6 said, if it's grace, is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If you say it's grace, but you add one thing to it, it is no, no longer grace. It's just not. And so if I said to you, you can be saved by faith in Christ, however, you must make a public profession. That's not grace. You must get baptized. That's not grace. You must turn away from your sins. That's not grace. Those things have nothing to do with, With salvation, either it is a gift or it's your works. One of the two. One of the two. And Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then, and and think about it. The salvation message is grace. The Christian life is grace. Uh, even, Even, listen, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves to get to God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He says, my plan... For you as a believer is to do good works, and that has nothing to do with your salvation. But it's what we're supposed to do. Even the future is all of grace. How many of us deserve Jesus Christ to come in the clouds and get us? None. How many of us deserve that when you die, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord? None of us deserve any of that. It's all the grace of God, God's plan. Now, look what he says in verse 2. He says, "...the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will teach others as well." Teach the person so they can teach others. Every one of us in this room need to be thinking, who can I teach with the ultimate goal that as I help them understand it, they can turn around and help somebody else understand it. That's the plan, the chain. Notice, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men or faithful people, and then these people to others. So the question is, who, who Are you discipling? Don't go the rest of your life, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, don't go the rest of your life without investing your life in other people. Taking what you've been taught and what you're studying and learning and passing it on to somebody else who then will be able to say, wow, I've never heard this, this is putting, I love this, and then they will be able to do the same thing. The last part is, we'll see this next week, is the charge. What, what do we want them to do? And I'm going to give you the both of them real quickly, and then we'll go to the detail. What do we want them to do? We want those people that we're discipling to continue in the things you've learned. Paul says it in 2 Timothy, continue in the things you've learned. Take the things I've taught you, continue to live this way. And then one other thing he says, be an example be an example. We're going to get more into that next week. We'll just stop right there. We're going to finish it up next week. Plus, I've got a little summary to put together the entire semester of what we saw about this study. So there's some great things. So here's the charge to all of us. Who are you discipling? Who are you sharing your faith with and helping them once they know Christ? Helping them grow. Now you you may not get you may have somebody that you didn't lead to Christ, but you can meet with. That's okay. That's what you're supposed to do. May we do it.